Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming outside me today. Today, we're talking with Drew Emery from the great state of Washington there on the West Coast, our first West Coaster here on the Average Jack Archery Podcast. And if you would like to be a part of the Average Jack Archery Podcast, please do follow the links in the description of this podcast by sending me an email at averagejackarchery at gmail.com, hitting me up on social media with Instagram as well as Facebook. You can also, of course, always leave a comment on YouTube. We'll get you on the podcast as part of the average guy doing the average thing. And I hope that you can join us at some point as we go through. But today, we are talking with Drew Emery, a uh, guy who is newer to the sport of archery hunting, at least, from Washington State. And Drew, how are you doing today, bud? I am doing fantastic this morning. Thanks for having me, man. I hey, I, pre- I appreciate you coming on. We're three hours apart in terms of time zone, but we made it work anyway. So it's, it's good to have you on board. So... Um, as always, when I when we were connecting with people on the podcast, we have uh, a little questionnaire that we bounce back and forth with ideas. And Drew has some great questions and uh, some great topics I think we can cover today from the perspective of me, as I say in air quotes, a average professional. And of course, with Drew being a, a first timer here in the sport of archery and archery hunting, we have a lot of uh, ideas and questions we can bounce back and forth. I think it's going to be a great podcast today. But first... Drew, real quick, uh, tell us about your uh, situation there in the state of Washington, the types of animals that you're hunting, uh, the hunts that you're actually, we talked about prior to recording, uh, the hunts you're going to be taking this year, you know, your bow setup and all sorts of stuff. Take it away for a few minutes and, and kind of give folks at home uh, the full scope of it. All right. So that sounds good. So yeah, like we talked about, so I'm shooting, this is my first year really getting into archery. I got my first, my first, very first bow last summer. So I'm in that first year. Uh, I picked up a Bear G2 Cruiser. Um, it's a, I set it 60 pound draw weight and I have it at max draw 30 inches. And my draw length is actually 30 and a half. So I kind of fudged the D loop to get me there. Um, but it, it's okay. It's, you know, 32 inch axle to axle. Uh, and as I'm realizing, like we talked earlier, it's, it might be a little bit short for me, but I'm going to make it work for this season. Um, I'm going to try and do as many of the first time things as I can this year. So I'm going on my very first bow hunt this year. Um, I'm going to shoot, I'm going for elk and deer and maybe bear. We'll see a bear. I could go with rifle, but we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know how close I want to get to a bear with a bow in my first year. It might be a little too much, but you know, we have on the West side of the state, we've got primary uh, blacktail. We've got elk and obviously bear. If I get a chance, I can go to the East side of the state and start hunting whitetail and mule deer. Uh, I can't hunt elk over there cause I picked the West side, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to do, I've got it set up right now for a four day backpack in hunt on the West side, uh, for elk, deer, and bear. There's supposed to be all three of those critters on this little Island, uh, out in the Willapa Bay area. So I'm really excited about that. I'm a little nervous, a little excited. It's all kind of wrapped into one. Um, so I've got, got my bow back. I just had a restrung. So now I'm starting from scratch. I had I'd spent all of the last year getting working with it. <clears throat> and then I had to get it restrung because I, I did that novice thing and I tinkered with it and I shouldn't have. So get it restrung. Now I got it back yesterday. Now I'm, I'm starting all from scratch. I got a new rest put on it. I got uh, the proper arrow spline. I got 330 arrow splines. I got some bloodline from Easton, which I've shot a few times now already. And I'm very pleased with those arrows. They're like hitting like a hammer out of it uh at the 60 pound weight uh i picked up we can use uh mechanical broadheads or or fixed broadheads out here 
Uh, I'm going with the fixed broadhead. I'm going with the Slick Trick four blade fixed broadhead and 100 grain, um, mostly because it was highly recommended to me by uh, my archery shop. Um, and being it's my first year, and I'm probably overthinking it, uh, I find it, I'm hoping that there's gonna be less problems with a fixed blade than the potential problems with a mechanical. That may be crap, excuse me. That may not be any good, I don't know. In my head, that's how I talk to myself. So that's what I'm going with is fixed broadhead. No, you're, you're not overthinking <laughs> it. That's just true. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's I, just, it, I, like the, I think it's cool. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying like moving parts mean things that moving things uh, uh, experience more issues than static things. Mm -hmm. Just kind of how it works. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that was the, I was kind of a, a thought I had and a fear I had from going from the whisker biscuit that I had on the bow originally and going to a follow-away arrow rest. But the deciding factor for me was I got these brand new arrows, these bloodline arrows, and set them up, had a brand new <clears throat> whisker in the whisker biscuit, and I took this, the first six arrows and I shot them. And I shot them, honestly, less than, less than 20 times a piece, and they already have the ripple effect, the, the ribboning on the fletching already. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm not going to ruin and have to refletch these arrows brand, like brand new. I just don't want to deal with that. Uh, I was like, no, I'm going to go a fall away rest. That, so that's not a problem anymore. And I went to my archery shop and he said, okay, this is the one I recommend as, as far as, you know, cost effectiveness, what you're trying to do with it. First time or anything. He's like, it's very reliable. It's got good reviews. It's a, a, a rip cord code red. Yep. He goes, really, the only thing, only thing you got to worry about, he's like, and it's easy, is every year before hunting season, come in and replace the, uh, the drawstring on it that attaches to your cable, and then you don't have to worry about it. I mean, he's like, there's always the risk of, you know, being a goofball and, and nicking it with a broadhead in the panic of, you know, loading an arrow or catching it on a tree branch, but realistically, you could catch a string just as easily. So he said, don't wig out about that. This is all, you know, ball bearing, you know, machined metal stuff. It's not going to have a failure. So. I said, okay. So I pulled the trigger and I put a new rest on this year. And so far I shot it, you know, three times, four times so far, just kind of sighting in the peep site and uh, very impressed with it so far. Very happy with it. So I'm excited to get behind the bowstring again uh, and start slinging some serious arrows. Yeah. And in the, the setup, you have a lot of people message me and talk about shooting that more budget compound setup. And one of them being the bear cruiser, the G2, which you're shooting. And I have no problems with the bow. It's a great little bow. But one thing that we talked about off air real quick, that's something that you didn't know kind of being a, a new archer in terms of your peep height and your peep placement as it relates to the axle to axle length of the bow. So real quick from somebody like me who has shot everything from a 28 and a half inch axle axle out to a 39 inch axle to axle. I know that I like bows that are in like 33, 33 and a half and to about 38. That's like a good window for me because when mm -hmm. I'm at full draw at 31 inches, the string angle isn't super acute, right? Where the arrow knocks mm -hmm. onto it. But you're discovering that is an issue with you with your bow. Yeah, actually, absolutely. So <clears throat> I went and what triggered it for me was actually changing my, my release. Um, mm -hmm. When I went from a index style release to a handheld release, thumb button, uh, because now it changes my anchor point and the way it feels. Um, it, I had to adjust the peep and all of a sudden it was like, I was having a real difficulty lining up my peep and my sight. And so when I got the new string done, I was able to 
have him help me move my peep around. And my peep had to come up, you know, let's say from its original position when I got the bow, I had to move it up what seems like almost two inches up the string just to get it. And then I had to still go with, and I, this is where I don't know the actual spec of it. I don't know what size peep is in there. Mm -hmm. I just know it's the biggest he had. Like we had to put the biggest peep he had so that I could even see the outside ring of my sight. And then yeah, even then I had to take, inch. Oh yeah. It's, it's ginormous. You yeah. know, I, like I was like, can, I, can you give me a bigger one? He's like, I don't have it. I was like, okay, well, we'll make it work. So I, and then on top of that, I still took my sight, which is just a trophy Ridge fixed uh, five pin, I think yeah, five pin sight. And I moved it out because it's got two sets of holes for mounting. I moved it a bolt hole position out farther, <clears throat> which then got me right where I could see. I could just see the outer ring of the sight and I could see my bubble clearly. So, but yeah, that string angle is very acute. I'm noticing. And I had him take a picture of it when I was at full draw and it is, I mean, it's freakishly close to 45 degree angle mm. when it's at full draw. It is. But again, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know I needed to know when buying a bow or, or anything, especially because I, I bought this bow used. I mean, I knew enough at least to look over, make sure there's no cracks or bent things or anything that looked extremely out of place. I mean, right. the, the string appeared to be in good condition. It appeared to be waxed. He, the, the guy said he waxed it, so I had to believe him. So I went with it. I still had the bow shop, you know, kind of put some eyes on it and they didn't see anything that was funky either. So it, it worked out. But then with me trying to move my peep side with this whole hand release thing, I nicked the string. So that's shame on me, but it's okay. But yeah, that, that acute string angle is, uh, is a piece of information that I feel like isn't necessarily been really covered a great deal uh, in the research I was doing, you know, because like, you got your bow shops you can go to and get, get information if you can have, you know, if there's one close to you or you got to go to like the big box stores like a, a Bass Pro Shop or a Cabela's and, and, you know, and they're limited on what they can talk to you about because they got a lot of people coming in and out. Uh, then you go to the YouTube, you go, you know, you watch your show on Average Jack or you watch, uh, you know, Knock on Nation or, or, or any of those other, um, you know, Brandon McDonald on his site um, to get information. And there's a lot of times there's a lot of similar information you can get, but there's also so much diversity in the information um, that it's kind of difficult. It's overwhelming. I found it very overwhelming uh, with what I needed to know or should know. So I ended up with like more questions than answers sometimes. Right. But I, I will say, I want to go back to, to two things you brought up real quick before we move on to talk. I want to talk about this handheld release thing and picking a release here in a second. But I want to talk about the uh, string angle, how that was not something that you saw that was discussed. But also go back to moving the site further away from the riser, the site housing further away from the riser. So a lot of people actually notice it. And ironically, I, I just got a message uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, someone asking about if they fit, you know, why there's so many holes on the sidebar. And so the reason why they put so many holes in the sidebar is not so it looks cooler further away or in closer or to offset weight or something like that. The reason why they're there is the further away the site gets from the riser, the smaller it appears to your eye, right? This is just basic simple physics. The further something away is, the smaller it appears, the closer it is, the bigger it is. And so if you're having an issue with your peep and you can't put the ring of your site housing inside the ring of your peep against your eye, then you're not lining everything up, right? That's what you need for a rifle sight. You need to line everything up by being able to see everything. If you can't see everything with your bow, you're going to have wild 
up, down misses, left, right misses, depending on what you can't see of your site housing in your peep. And so that's good that you caught that, that you can move that further away, make the site housing smaller and fit it into your peep. That's something that I have I have always struggled with uh, with peeps for some reason at my 30, you know, I started at 30. For some reason, since I started the channel five years ago, I'm still growing. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> I've gone from a 30 to a 30 and a half, and now I'm 31, and my target bow is actually set up at 31 and a half inches of draw length, and it feels really, really good, but I have almost a 79-inch wingspan, so I've got these real long orangutan arms, and so putting a sight housing further away from my eye because my draw length is so long, it looks tiny. So I actually have to bring it in pretty close or I have to shoot a pretty small peep on the back end to get it to match with that really small sight housing that's far, far away from my eye. And vice versa, if you shoot a 27, 28 inch draw, you're going to have to go with a big peep and probably push that sight housing further away from the riser so you can fit everything in appropriately. Just something you're going to have to play with and your pro shop should be able, you know, when you go in and you're trying your sight housing out, the two, the two peep sizes that are most common for bow hunters are three sixteenths and the biggest one is a quarter inch. Um, if you start getting down to smaller size peeps, they, less, they let less light in, which is okay for target yeah. shooting, but not for hunting. Um, right. So anyhow, so that's cool that you caught that. And the second thing is the string angle, why no one really talks about it. And I don't really talk about it because I'm a freak of nature and you almost and in your way with a 30 and a half inch draw is also kind of a freak of nature where most people really do live between 27 to 29 and a half. That's where the lion's share of people live. And so if you're down in that 28, 27, you can really get away with a 28, 29 inch axle to axle bow and not experience any issues. Um, and so I find it really hard for me to say, oh yeah, you need to shoot a longer axle to axle bow when in reality that's that's true for a smaller percentage of us and that's why you see not a whole lot of hunting bows nowadays above the 31 and a half to 32 inch axle to axle because the vast majority of archers are not that big um and also the bigger the bow gets the longer and wieldier it is the more it weighs so on and so forth so do you want to just deal with a shorter string angle or deal with lugging a heavier, longer bow that gets tangled and stuff easier. And manufacturers have weighed those pros and cons and they're going to keep producing short bows. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I had, that I had been told, you know, was a lot of times you're, when you're bow hunting, you want the, it's a, the bow hunter wants the shorter axle axle because it's smaller. It's more compact. It's, it's not going to be banging on stuff in the brush. It's not going to interfere when you're up in the tree stand. And I said, okay, I mean, that makes for me as like a novice and an, an experience, okay, it made, it made sense. And then, you know, you go to the longer bows, axle, axle for uh, target archery and stuff, because you get, you know, you get that longer strangle, you get a little more power, you get a little more stability. I said, okay, again, it makes sense to a guy who doesn't know the difference. Um, but for me, I will go with a longer axle axle so that the string angle and the bow overall fits me more comfortably and just deal with the fact of if I, if I ever start shooting from a tree stand that I have to make a little bit bigger a swing when I pull my bow out, or I've got to be careful when I'm going through the brush because I got a bigger bow. I'll make that sacrifice over the sacrifice of a weird string angle and having to do some of the weird stuff with a peep at a different uh, size and my sight way out there. Like I, I would rather have a bow that is properly fitted and comfortable for me to shoot regardless. 
and have to adapt my method in the woods when I'm hunting. I mean, I don't, on, on, out here where I'm hunting so far, uh, I'm not hunting from a tree stand. I'm more of a spot and stock kind of a situation. So yes, I'm going to be walking through the woods carrying it. I'm going to be crawling through the brush and stuff like that. Um, and I'm okay with, like, I've already had the conversation with myself in my head. Okay, you're going to be okay with, you know, dragging this through some brush and being, you know, having to be more careful with it. That's fine. Because I know that when I pull up in a dry, well, now is a little bit greater because it's not quite fitted for me, but it's as good as it's going to get. But I'm, I want it, the bow to be fitted for me and I'll adapt to the conditions in which I'm hunting. So, you know, that's the way I look at it. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how I'm, I'm with it. Right, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, all I do is tree stand hunt, and everybody talks about how, you know, you want a shorter bow for the tree stance. You don't get hung up on branches. You want a shorter bow for spot and stock so you can crawl around through the brush or whatever with it. But no one ever talks about how in 2005, the shortest bow you could get was like 35 inches axle to axle. And I'm pretty sure there was a lot of deer killed in 2005. <laughs> you know? Oh, absolutely. You oh, know? absolutely. Right. And so, um, and it's also funny, I, and I'll just bring this up, and, and this is just um, because Matthews does this. Matthews, for example, makes like the VXR 28 and the VXR 31 and a half currently. But the cams on a Matthews, if, if you don't know, which I think everybody does, but if you look at the cams on a Matthews, they're enormous. And if you look at a Matthews bow, you know, Google Matthews at full draw or something. And, why, you know, Chris B, for example, is probably the biggest guy on YouTube with shooting Matthews, Levi Morgan as well. When that giant cam rolls over, even though the bow is only 28 inches axle to axle, that cam adds another two inches at least of string right, yeah. angle either end. So you're actually shooting like a 32-inch axle to axle bow terms of where the string angle is at so they can get away with a shorter axle axle bow with a huge cam uh which uh you know because 28 is real short uh but because oh, of that short. yeah right but because of that bigger cam it feels a little bit longer same thing true with a 31 and a half it really is closer to like a 33 and change with string angle so that's cool i mean that that's you know there's a lot of different ways to get around it but i i, I like that that you understand that that string angle really helps. Well, out yeah, attitude. I'm learning it. And it's funny that you bring up the cam size because I, when I was at the pro shop yesterday, I mean, I, I, I literally mean this guys. I was at the pro shop yesterday picking my bow up and I was asking these kind of questions. And this is when I figured out the string angle. And it's funny you bring up the cam size because I mean, they're primarily, well, I don't say, I won't say primarily, but they sell a lot of PSE. So they're, they're a PSE dealer. They're also, uh, I think they're, I think Bowtech maybe, I can't remember, but they have a lot of PSE on, on the wall right now. And that's what he's saying. He's like, you know, he's pointing out this bow is a, is a 33 inch axle to axle. He's like, but it's got Mondo cams on it. So he's like, you can, it, it still gives you that much wider string angle. So even though it's not really that longer axle axle, but because of these bigger cams, he's like, you're almost getting a 34, 34 and a half inch. I'm like, okay. He's like, so you can still kind of, it's like a you know, air quote hybrid, if you want to say, as far as, you know, squeezing those inches out there to get, you know, still that, that shorter axle axle, but that wider string angle, you know, so you right. can have a little bit of best of best of both worlds, I think. Um, and I can't recall what model PSE it was um, because there's just so many, there's so many options out there that after a while they all meld together for me. I know. That's <laughs> try like, work, you know, try working in a shop when you got to figure out how to work <laughs> on all of them. Oh I, oh, I can't even imagine. It's brutal. I talk, to somebody on the, talk to somebody on the phone. Like, hey, I got this, this, and this. You're like, uh, yeah, yeah I, I know what that looks like. Yeah, I can figure that out. Well, it's funny because there are some people like such as myself who who like you say, oh, you know, I got a 
a Hoyt from, I think, like 2015. And I'll be like, oh, is that the Nitrum or the Factor? And I'll be like, oh, it's the, it's the Nitrum. How'd you know? And I'm like, well, you know, I spent a lot of time working on both and uh, memorizing a lot of different stuff. But anyhow, um, let's, let's go on to this release thing, because this is an interesting thing that I find, in particular for you as a new shooter, uh, you've, you've already gone to a thumb button, right? So for the folks at home um, who might be new or don't understand, right? So the index style release is one you set up with your index finger, right? It has a wrist strap. Um, and you pull, the, you draw the bow basically by using that wrist strap and, and holding on to the release. Uh, and then uh, you have the thumb button, which is a handheld only. Sometimes they'll have a wrist lanyard just so you don't drop it out of the tree, but you do draw it with your hand and then you activate the trigger with your thumb. And then you have hinges, which are uh, worth, we're not even going to go there right now, uh, but that's a big target uh, archery thing. And that you, is all handheld and there is no button. You actually rotate or, or uh, hinge your hand uh, to sear it over and to get the wreaths to fire. So it's very, very common for not even just first time people, but for veterans, uh, myself included, to hunt exclusively with a index uh, release because it's always on your wrist. Uh, you know, the, the trigger feels like a gun trigger in the sense that you're working your index finger. Uh, it's very repeatable. You can kind of even anchor in different spots with it and in the heat of the moment and still see through your peep but you've already gone to a thumb button. So I have to ask, did you start with an index style release? And if you did, and now you've gone to a thumb button, what was the deciding factor there? Yeah, so I, I made this, well, I've made this the, the switch to the thumb button just this last couple of weeks. Um, I started out with a index style release because when I bought my bow, it came with all the accessories, the quiver and the sights and all that, and it came with a uh, Trophy Ridge uh, index style release, adjustable. And I use it. And for me, just coming into the sport, at index style release, to me, it was, I thought like one of the only options. Like that's just, that was the iconic piece of equipment that I'd always see or think about when I thought of uh, compound archery. So I used it. And I, sh I, I, I shot pretty well with it. But I noticed after about a dozen arrows, my groups would start to get a little more open and I'd start to be start flinching a little more. And I was anticipating the pull of the trigger. And I, and my target panic really started to come out and it would get worse and worse because I would get more frustrated with myself and it, and it was bad. So I started doing a lot of research, watching YouTube channels and getting people's opinion on what, and that's when I really started my, opening my eyes to the fact that there's thumb buttons, there's hinges, there's back tension releases. There's like, it's not just an index or style. Uh, and that's also to say that there's different levels of index style releases, you know? So it, it, but everything that I saw was looking like, you know, well over 80% of the industry was going to, or was using, excuse me, a thumb button, a back tension, or a hinge, but a, a handheld release of some kind. And everybody's recommendation was, if you have target panic, which I do in a very bad way, that the um, going to like a, a back tension or a thumb button release would help with that dramatically. And in just the few arrows that I've shot changing over, I have already noticed a difference. Now, granted, I, I got a, uh, it's a spot hog thumb release that was graciously donated to me. Actually, I will, I will plug this real quick. It was graciously donated to me by Lancaster Archery. Uh, I reached out to them. I told them what was going on. They said, yeah, we have one in the shop. We'll send you. Uh, so thank you to them. Huge thank you to them. Uh, and, but just in the few arrows I've shot with it, because I can adjust the trigger sensitivity and the pressure, it's eliminated the ability to have target panic 
Now, you know, and so I continued doing research and, you know, maybe if I had spent some money on an indexer style release that had, you know, a double sear or a roller sear mechanism in it and I could adjust it, then maybe I could eliminate some of my target panic. But I think that I'll be, I, I tend to get in my head pretty, pretty deep when I'm start struggling with something. So I'm wondering if, if I remove that typical um, release position of my hand, as far as the finger, the index finger over a trigger, like, like shooting a rifle, and I eliminate that whole muscle memory aspect of it and force myself to kind of learn a new position, uh, it, won't, it won't give my brain the opportunity to panic for it. And so far, like I said, in the few arrows I've shot with the thumb release, uh, that has been the case. I've, I've felt very confident with it. Uh, it does take a few minutes to get past the fear of punching yourself in the face with pulling back on the thumb release and keeping your thumb out of the way of the trigger and everything. But yeah, that was the big thing. Is for, is the biggest thing for me was my target panic it was, uh, it was a killer for me and the frustration it was giving me. So it would, you know, I would shoot really good for a dozen arrows. And then after that, it started to kind of, my group started going wider and wider and uh, more frustrating. And it kind of took the fun out of the archery for a second. So I had to stop. So I was only getting in, you know, 20, 30 minutes of practice time before I was just, I got to take a break before I, you know, lose it. Um, and so far, like I said, in the short time I've switched over, it's, it's been, I've noticed a difference. I can say that much for sure. Um, right. I and do that, have a little bit good. of fear of the dropping it. Yeah. 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 Does it, does that spot hog have the ability for you to attach like to your, you know, like a little rope lanyard or something? Uh, it does not. Okay. Uh, and I, I mean, there's, uh, there's a positive, like it's, it's a four finger. So it's a little bit big. I'm not sure I'm a fan of the four finger aspect of it. I, I tend to draw my pinky behind the release. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, you know, so I mean, that's what I'm not, not even decided if I'm going to modify, like cut that last little piece off and, and round it or not. Or, you know, I thought about putting a hole in the back of it to put a lanyard on. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with that just yet. But it does not have a factory position for a lanyard. So it's really a true handheld only release. Okay. But yeah, I, it's, I'm glad that you have brought up, you know, this journey that you've been going through here, you know, start with an index style, realizing that's the first step, you know, and I, that sounds cheesy, right? The first, the first step is understanding you have a problem. Um, and this, uh, this idea that people are like, oh, I'll just power through it. Right. But powering through it just, just makes it get worse. There's no, it's like powering through a knee injury. You're not going to jog it off. Right. You gotta, you gotta think of something else to do. Uh, and so I find for me, you know, my target panic now is not, you know, I've been shooting for this to be my 17th year shooting. My target panic is different than what you, your type of um, first time target panic. You're experiencing groups that are enormous. You're experiencing like literal panic, right? Like, oh my gosh, this arrow needs to fire now, or I'm going to die. You know, that's the type of target panic. My target panic is um it has it will have to do with like pin float right my pin float will change and that that causes me to do my shot a little bit faster or to draw a little bit erratically that's my sort but it's still very it causes me problems in accuracy at a smaller scale but i know then when i start changing uh releases it's like um so i drive a manual right uh, a vehicle i drive a stick shift car it's the exact same as an automatic car right? It goes forward. It's still got a brake. It still has a gas pedal, but driving a manual car, I hearken to switching to a thumb button or switching to a hinge style release. You're still shooting a bow. You're still driving a car, 
but there's so many more little intricacies. I got to push into clutch. I got to move the gear shift myself. I have to release the clutch, clutch and push into gas at the same time. I got to push the clutch in before I start braking or the car is going to stall out. It's the exact same thing as, as driving an automatic. You just have to think a little bit more. And you're seeing a very positive result from this, which I think a lot of people are seeing, particularly in that first year, um, in that first couple of years of battling that target panic, changing up that release. Now, I will say, as a word of, of warning, eventually you'll get comfortable with that thumb button and you'll start to think about having target panic in other ways. And so this is why I personally, as a, as a I, don't, I don't want to call it a pro tip, but just as a tip, is, uh, is, is do flip-flop. Do go back and forth. You know, um, For me in particular, I know that I'm going to be shooting a hinge for 3D and I'm going to be shooting a hinge during indoor. So that means during the hunting seasons, I can shoot my index style release. Now, I own multiple bows. I have a hunting bow and I have a target bow. So it's, you know, that I'm cheating a little bit in that way. But my brain knows, okay, it's, uh, it's late July, it's early August. I need to start shooting an index style release for that preparation in the fall when I'm shooting that index style release in the tree stand. Then I know like around November when the archer season starts to wind down, I can start shooting a hinge style release because that index style release is still very fresh in my mind. But I know in my preparation for the indoor, for, uh, you know, we have some indoor 3D as well as indoor spots, I need to start shooting a hinge. I don't do thumb buttons. It's not my thing. But if that was, you know, your thing at home or, or you there, and that's what you'd start that transition. And then if I still have tags left, here in PA, in uh, middle of January, early January, we have the second late archery season. So I can kind of go back to shooting an index. So I get, you know, a, like three or four flip-flops, if you will, throughout the year, and it keeps me honest. It helps, with my, uh, it helps me with my back tension. I'm not saying with the back tension release. I'm saying actually keeping my pressure into the back wall. I don't get lazy. I, I end up then shooting them all the same in terms of the pressure. I shoot them all in terms of the timing of my release. Uh, that's another big thing, too, uh, that I'll just mention briefly. Everybody kind of has their own shot clock, whether they think about it or not. Uh, if you watch, uh, particularly, it's fun to watch the, the 3D guys that are like Levi Morgan. Danny McCarthy is probably the best one. Chance Bobef, um, Chance Bobef and um, Danny McCarthy, they hold for, I think, somewhere like around 15, 20 seconds. It seems like they, they come to full draw, they anchor, and then it's a, even on their indoor game, it is a very long hold. And there are certain people that they come to draw, they anchor, and then it's like five to seven seconds. I'm in that five to seven second category. After I come to full draw and I anchor, when I use my hinge in particular, and it clicks over when I come to anchor and I acquire my target, I have about five to seven seconds of hold before the bow is released. That is something that I know for my target panic, I must keep in my head. I must keep that, that, that basketball shot clock running because I know if I start going faster or if I start holding it on to later, it's going to cause me to, oh my gosh, I need to fire it now. Or if it's on the later side, it'll be, oh my gosh, I've held this so long, I need to send it now. And if I don't send it in that, that shot clock window, my, I get out of rhythm and that's when I start screwing around and that's when I start getting that target panic. So that's another thing to, to keep in mind too. I'll even film myself. Like if I'm prepping for a big, uh, big indoor shoot or a big 3d shoot, I'll film myself shooting and I'll 
go back and watch the film and I won't even worry about like my form or where the arrows hit. I'm watching how long it takes me once I come to full draw, my release clicks over and how long it takes to fire. Am I being consistent? And if I see them being inconsistent, I know I need to continue being consistent because that will help me in the heat of the moment, in the woods, on the 3D course, final arrow of a Vegas type shoot, that consistency, that autonomous um, uh, muscle memory will take over and I'll be able to get better scores, better results from it. And I think that's, I think, I think some of my part target panic is that combination of, you know, feeling that like put my finger on the trigger and then, okay, I can feel it touching. I'm feeling pressure. Is it going to go? Is it going to go? Oh, it's going to go. And then it goes. And I think that's the most of it, but I also suffer from the pin float aspect of it is I'm, I want so badly to hit the center of the target what I'm aiming for. Like, you know, like not necessarily the center of the target, right? Not just the tendering, but I mean, if I'm, if I'm aiming, I want the right upper corner. That's where I want to hit. And I put my pin there. I want so badly to hit that target. Like I expect, like maybe my expectations for my ability is more than my ability can achieve, but I want that. So then my target, like then my pin's kind of floating and maybe it has a lot to do with, you know, just not, strong enough in the shoulder to hold the bow or you know maybe i need a little bit less or a little bit more uh stabilizer weight or whatever but i get that pin float and it's like okay shoot now no no shoot now no wait oh and then i just punch it and it's like, it's like oh man so and i, and I said that's that's it's like there's so many things encompassing that problem it's not target panic is a very large issue if you start breaking it down i mean you have to like i said i'm only doing this for a year and it's not like I've been doing it every day for years. So the strength in my bow shoulder isn't wonderful enough or strong enough to really hold that bow. It's not a whole lot of weight, but you stick that out, you know, two and a half feet out there, it weighs up real quick. And then you got to try and you're holding it there. And then you're panicking about the pin floating it. And, you know, it's not trying to hold it steady, but trying to hold it pretty steady. And then not punching the trigger and follow through. And all these things are going through your head. And especially as a first time bow hunter, I want so badly to start down the path of proper form and not give myself bad habits. They're going to have to break later on. So I'm overanalyzing and overthinking. And I honestly am probably in somewhere in that 15 to 20 second uh, hold when I get to my draw. And that's a lot of the problem is I need to drastically cut that down and, and, and get rid of the time to think about it and just kind of go into a, not a rapid fire, but a much shorter shot cycle that i'm currently doing like i think i'm just overdoing it and then i'm fatiguing my arm because i'm not you know properly strength trained for that um but yeah that's the like i said so far i've had a very positive experience with the thumb button release uh and because i can adjust that that sensitivity i can make it so i can barely like my thumb barely even touches i got i couldn't even tell you if it's knurled on the thumb wheel or not because it's so light which i might change here in a little bit might just stiffen up a hair but yeah, it just, it, it goes so quickly that I like, so far I'm liking that aspect over my index. And that might have something to do also with the index style that I have. You know, if I went with a little bit more, um, you know, a better quality, so to say, or just a little more expensive or, you know, so it, instead of having, it's a, it's just a standard trophy ridge and it's, it's something you can't adjust anything. So it's not a sear trigger. It's not a double sear. It's not a roller sear. And if you if you went with one of those, then where you could adjust the, you could adjust out all of the finger travel and just have pressure, that might be a good way of eliminating that you know trigger panic, target panic aspect of it. But again, the other problem, like we were talking about, and 
I know maybe we can transition to that is how do you, how do you know the right release to pick? How do you do that? I mean, these releases are like anywhere from $39.99 up to $300 for a release. How, who's spending $300 per release just to try and see if it works for them? I, I don't, I can't get on that bandwagon. I can't get, like I, I have the release I had, I got when I got the bow. Okay, well, people say, you know, he's, you know, like Marcher shop, he hunts with a, a index style release and he, and he loves it, right? His is, I think, a roller seer. Well, I don't know, and I haven't asked him, so that could be a fault on me, but how do I get a hold of a release to try it to see if it's something I want to go with? You know, do I have to spend the $150, $200 on a release, try it, realize it, it doesn't work for me, and then I'm stuck with selling it and losing some money? How do I know if I'm going to like a button or do I go back tension or, you know, do I, you know, I'm not even going to go into the hinge release because that's way outside of ability, but like, how do you decide on those things without spending the big money? I don't know. And maybe it is just as simple as talking to, uh, you know, your local archery shop and asking them, Hey, can I try this release? You know, it, it very well could be that simple. I just haven't taken that route yet. Uh, I'm, you know, like I said, with everything going on in the world right now, you just popping into a place to do things like that has become extremely difficult. So you have to rely on, you know, word of mouth from your friends and what they're and going to, you know, uh, watch reviews on YouTube or, or channels like yours or, or other people. And then, you know, have to take into their account of what they're talking about because it's what they've used or what's what they like, they style and they recommend. Um, so you're like, okay, well, he's, he's shooting quite well with it. He's been using it for a couple of years and he really likes it, but I don't know if that's a determining factor for what I'm going to like. And how do I, how do I justify picking the right release? That's what I've struggled with. So I ended up at the thumb release just because it was like, for me, it was like that middle ground between uh, as far as, you know, index style release was still having a trigger to actually pull and a, like a back tension release where you don't like it's just pulling through it uh, this was like a combination i can still pull through the shot but i'm also still in control of it a little bit as far as the thumb the actual thumb button so in my mind and the way i'm looking and the way i'm treating it is it's like that quote unquote like a hybrid in between the transition points for me and that's and that's the way i'm looking at it. that's the way i'm attacking it when i'm shooting the bow so it it's working for me i'm still pulling through the shot like you're supposed to like i come in my anchor point i hold it and then I don't just hit the button. It's, you know, the whole hand and everything in the shoulder, you pull through back tension that you pull it, but it also, the thumb kind of squeezes at the same time. So it's one fluid motion and it's, it's working so far. But like you said, I'm going to do it for long enough and I'm probably going to get comfortable with it and I will get some target panic or other aspects of the target panic are going to start to rear their head and I'll have to deal with those as well. So I just don't know what to do about picking the right equipment. That's what it boils down to, I think. How do you pick the right equipment? Yeah, and, and it's tough. It really is tough. So it, it's funny because I, I worked in the shop yesterday and um, I had a, a guy come in and he wanted to try out a thumb button release. And he's like, you know, can I just open this up and try it? And it was a package from a manufacturer that was sealed. It wasn't just kind of like stapled. It was sealed on all the sides. And you just can't cut that open have him go downstairs and shoot a dozen arrows, bring it up and then seal that package right back up. And as a, as an archery shop, you can't, cause now you have this like open box. Right. And as I've said, if, for those who didn't listen to the first episode of, of the AJ podcast, uh, 
in that first episode. There's money that's already sitting on the wall that's kind of dead money in a bow shop. People don't understand that. There are lots of releases that we have on our wall at our store that are target specific releases that we have to buy from our manufacturers that we uh, that we deal that we represent and in our area here in rural pa we don't have the target archers uh, but we have target archery releases um, and nobody's buying hinges no one's coming in to buy a 200 dollars hinge in our market um, so we have them sitting on the wall and they're going to sit there for who knows how long and it's really a shame and it brings up uh, another point that I made in that podcast that, that you've alluded to already is that do you just buy a release and just deal with it? And then, you know, in a couple of years, when you feel like you've kind of, quote, offset the cost by using it for a couple of years, you go back and buy another one and hope that that one's the yeah. one. Uh, because that's what we see in the shop. You know, a guy will come in and buy his accessories. And if he only does his bow hunt a couple of times a year and the release is OK, but, you know, it's not amazing. He doesn't really care because it's not that much. Um, you know, he's not like he's taking it to competitions and stuff. He's just trying to shoot a whitetail with it. And so he doesn't care if it's not the perfect fit. And we, we might, he might not buy another release for a decade. And, you know, that's, so we sold him one release. He was okay with it, but he was okay with it because he didn't need it that much. And now he doesn't buy another release. And it's only the guys such as you or myself or other people that are like, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I need to change something up. And then you go and, and look at it and go, you know, for me to change something up is like 150 bucks, 100 bucks, not even, you know, 75 to 90. You're like, good grief. That's all. You know, you could buy, I could buy a dozen uh, Victory Arrow shafts that I shoot for hunting for 90 bucks. Yeah. You know, and, and a dozen arrows to me is a little bit more useful because I break them on deer and I shoot them at tournaments and stuff. And can I live with just a, a release that's a little less, um, desirable and be able to afford more arrows or what what have you so this this is great in terms of talking to accessories yeah it's there i know of some shops here locally that will let you try a release like they've just bitten the bullet and open up packages and they just have them have them sitting behind the counter uh and they've just eaten those those dollars and they're just going to live with it because they're used to eating it because there's a lot of money that they're eating on the wall yeah, already um but yeah right but most shops don't do that. Uh, it's just it's it's just part of the business model, and so you kind of are going blind, as you said. YouTube reviews, maybe a Amazon type review, uh, archery forums like Archery Talk, that sort of stuff. Um, but basically, it's kind of you hope that it works when you when you try it. So I will say, you know, let's start answering these questions of you know how do we know to pick one accessory over the other? In terms of when it comes to spending money, my opinion. Um, as someone who has gone and shot really cheap equipment, has shot really expensive equipment, um, and we talked to you a little bit before we started recording the podcast, is that anything that, for me, that comes in contact with the arrow, because that is the most important part of the archery thing, mm -hmm. you could shoot, you could dry fire a bow all day long, you're not going to get any points for it. Um, without shooting the arrow into the target, you don't have archery. And so anything that comes in contact with the arrow's flight is worth spending the money on in my opinion. Uh, so that's your release uh, and that's your rest. And that is also to an extent the arrow itself. Those are kind of the, the three biggest things that are worth spending the money on. You know, you're shooting a bear cruiser, not a very expensive no. bow, but gosh, it flings arrows. Yeah, exactly. It flings arrows. Exactly. You're accurate with it. You're having fun with it. 
And if the draw length wasn't, uh, you know, went out to your draw length, you'd probably be 100% instead of just kind of like, yeah, it's going to work for now. You'd be like, yeah, this is perfect. I don't need anything else. Um, and that's the way I've always been with bows because up until recently, I had always bought used equipment. And so I had to play with the hand that was dealt to me. And so, but when it comes to the release itself and the adjustments you can make, the rest itself and the quality there, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the whisker biscuit, but gosh, in 2020, dropaways are just better. It just is. And there's a lot of companies making some really high quality ones out there. Um, and I shoot them for target. I shoot them for 3d. I shoot them for hunting. Um, and so though, and then the arrow tube itself, those are the three things that I think are worth spending a little bit more money on to get more adjustability, uh, to get more modularity. You know, they make handheld releases where you can, like you're saying how yours is a four finger, but you wish it was a three. Well, you know, they make releases for thumb buttons that are, they have interchangeable fingers. You could put a three finger in, or you could put a four finger, or you could even shoot it as a two finger, as wild as that sounds. Um, and the same thing is true with index style releases. They make some where the arm is very adjustable. They make some where you can um, adjust the time of travel, uh, how hot, if you will, as you said, roller sear, double sear, um, I shoot a Scott Ghost, which is a magnetic sear. So there's just a lot of really good um, ways that you can upgrade, if you will, on those pieces of equipment that make contact with the arrow. And I think those are the ones worth doing that on and worth kind of risking biting the bullet on. Now, when it comes to the other ones, like your quiver and your stabilizer, uh, you know, the type of, of peep that you shoot, uh, even your sight to an extent, I personally couldn't care less uh i you know when it comes to the, i'll start with the stabilizer because stabilizers are unfortunately one of those things i think that are grossly um overhyped and overmarketed. now i will say the point of it, the point of a stabilizer is to stabilize the bow right that is the whole point point. and so if you're buying a four inch stabilizer you're not doing yourself any good right because that's not going to stabilize anything um with with the with the type of sights and rest that I shoot, particularly my hunting bow, um, I need a sidebar to balance out the weight, but not everybody does. You don't have to buy a sidebar unless you actually are experiencing a lot of lean to the, if you're a right-handed archer, your bow will lean to the right because the sight's on the right-hand side of the bow and the rest is yeah. on the right-hand side the of the quiver, bow. And yeah. it'll, th and the quiver, if you shoot with the quiver on, um, and it'll lean to that side. And so I have a pretty heavy rest and a pretty heavy sight. And so it leans to the right pretty hard. And so I'll put a, a stabilizer bar on the left side to, to counterbalance that. Um, but all a stabilizer is, is, is just a tube with some weight on the end, right? You don't need to go out and buy a 90 to $140 single stabilizer. Now, if you want to buy a, a pair of stabilizers for like 100 yeah. bucks, 150 bucks, yeah, that's, and, a, and it comes with a knuckle, mm -hmm. you know, to, um, to adjust the back bar setting. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That's fine. Uh, but you don't need to go shooting a 15 inch bar for hunting. Uh, you know, that sort yeah, of I'm stuff shooting, that I, I never see. Yeah. I'm shooting a, just a, I think, I, I think it's a 10, maybe 12 inch little bee stinger that I, that I got actually, truth be told, I stole it off my daughter's bow. Uh, I, <laughs> I bought her a bow and it came with it. And I said, yeah, you don't need this. You, you can't even hold a bow up. So I stuck that from her, but I'm also, but I'm looking because I, like you, like you brought up, when you are right-handed shooter or left-handed, depending on what you got, your sight, your rest, uh, your quiver, all of that's on the right-hand side of the bow. 
So you get that right hand lean. And I'm a right hand shooter. Um, so I'm looking, I was considering getting that, uh, the CBE stabilizer hunter kit with this, which is like a, yeah, the Torx kit. Yeah, 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 exactly. With the, with the front bar, which is I think 12 inch, 14 inch. And then the, the yeah, back it's an 11 and, and the backs is yeah, seven. So that's yeah. what I was looking at. Cause I, I'm trying to get that balance out. And I was also hoping that it might kind of help stabilize like because of the way that the, you hold the bow and the riser position and everything, the bow naturally wants to roll either away from you or for, towards you, depending upon just like you just holding it there, I've noticed. And so I'm, I'm thinking that not only will that stabilizer system help balance it left to right, but also kind of maybe help neutralize it in my hand a little bit when I play with the weights and the ounces, just to, and to really dial in that stabilization of, you know, when I'm at full draw, it, I'm not the, the pressure I'm pulling into the draw isn't wanting to pull the bow, you know, in a, in a backwards rotation versus letting it fall away from me, kind of trying to neutralize that as much as I can. That's my hope. So that is, I think one of my next, that's probably going to be one of my next purchases um, next year, maybe. But then again, if like you said, and I agreed with this bow is not 100% perfect for me. It is good. I enjoy it. It's going to work for me. I'm going to hopefully take an animal with it. And that's exciting. And I'm going to do some tournaments or some 3d shoots with it. It's gonna be good. But you know, in a year, maybe two years, I'm going to be changing my whole bow again. So then the next one I buy, it may not have the same kind of issues and I may not need that much stabilizing. Then again, I'm stuck with another piece of equipment, which that is okay. Like that transition I'm okay with. And I'm, I'm excited for that. But yeah, the stabilizer I'm thinking is, is your, like you said, is there's money to be spent in the right places at the right time. And so far, I think I'm doing that as far as I've, I spent some money on some arrows. I bought some, some nice arrows, the bloodline arrows. I think they're really nice. Uh, you know, there are three thousands tolerance for straightness, which for a guy who's just beginning, I'm not going to know. Like, truth be told, I wouldn't notice the difference between a six thousandth and a one thousandth arrow. Like my grouping isn't that tight. I'm not going to notice it. It's fine. So I said I'll go with the three thousandths. Uh, but I spent the money on the quality arrow, you know, and I'm and I bought some nice broadheads so that I could take a good clean shot at an animal. And I and I bought, you know, a nice quality rest. And I, you know, and I've got a decent release. And so I'm I'm doing the right stuff at the right time in with my budget. And you have to be realistic about your budget. I mean, and decide. You know, like I said, I ended up buying my bow system twice over now. I've spent the same amount of money I buy the whole thing and just to rebuild it again from the ground up. Um, so word of, of advice to everybody is if you're looking to get into, you know, getting a compound bow, don't forget that if you buy a used bow with all the accessories on it, there's a good chance you're going to have to change some of that that's per your aesthetics, per your taste, per your skill set or what you're doing with it you know like we're talking about uh 3d or indoor or hunting so it may not be most beneficial to buy a complete you know used bow package if you will as opposed to just a stripped bow you, know, you go to the archery shop you know my archery shop owner he's got his old bow back on the shelf on hanging on the wall he put new strings on it you know no accessories or anything and you know it's gonna it may be you know, a couple hundred dollars outside of my uh, initial budget, but I'm only going to have to buy the accessories or transfer the accessories over. So it, it could save you some money to do it that way. And then you can get the accessories that you actually want and don't just end up with them. That's just what I've learned the hard way.
Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you you could play. I mean, yeah, you could play it either way. You could play as, you know, even if you buy a, a, a brand new ready to hunt package. I know a lot of folks that come into the shop want to do that. I have a lot of my good buddies that have gone and purchased ready to hunt packages and bear in particular, the brand of bow that yeah. you're shooting is really and that's, famous yeah, for making that's these what mine ready is. to hunt that's what packages. Mine is. It wasn't right. ready to hunt and right. it works. And, and it works, right? The, the site is fine. Uh, you know, bear and trophy Ridge are in cahoots together. The site's fine. You know, the stabilizers are okay. You know, it's going to, it's going to harvest a North American uh, black tail mm-hmm. in your case or white tail in my case or whatever. It's going to work just yes. fine. But would it be better to, instead of just dealing with just fine, buy it bare bow, no accessories, you know, say, I don't know what the, the cost off would, would approximately be. And then maybe you buy that better stabilizer system, which I think, by the way, that CBE Torque set is by far the best hunter front bar, back right. bar system that's, I've ever and used. And that's what like, I'm, oh my gosh, it's fair. Going with reviews oh and YouTube yeah. channels, I'm in agreement. That's what I found is it's, it gets the most positive feedback. Um, right. And I think it's going to work well in uh, across the board. Cause like I said, I want to do some 3d hunts and I want to do some, uh, some target archery maybe indoors. And I think it'll help. It'll still help me. I don't think it's going to hinder me in those aspects. So I think it's a well-rounded right. uh, multi-tool, if you will, uh, as far as stabilizers go. So I'm excited for that at some point right. in the budget. Well, let's, and let's, let's dive into that too. Let's start talking about that. The, the, the kind of the routines and the differences for the hunting, the 3d and the indoor let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Cause you know, obviously I have my perspective where I've been doing the target side for, you know, a decade uh, now seriously. And, you know, you're kind of in, in your first year with it. So I'll, I'll talk about it quickly. Now I'll, we'll just, for the sake of sanity, we'll just pretend, um, that we're back to like 2015 and I'm shooting one bow for everything now, you know, in my, now I have backup bows for backup bows type thing, but we'll just pretend I'm back to, so I'm, I have my, my one bow, I shoot bow hunter class. So that's where we're both be. And we have to shoot one pin or, or fixed pins, um, we can't touch our site. You know, once the site is set, you can't touch it once you enter the course, either for 3D or for indoor. Um, and so I like that because it's a lot just like hunting, right? I'm looking at my 20-yard pin either in the backyard for practice for hunting, or I have to judge the distance in a 3D situation. Same thing if I don't have my rangefinder in the whitetail woods. I have to judge that distance and I have to gap shoot with my pins if I don't think it's at, you know, whatever I set my pins to, 20, 30, 40. So in terms, I will say with my practice for the hunting, it's for me, it's just shooting at things in the backyard. And then also the closer I get shooting things out of tree stands, which is not something you would be experiencing there in Washington. You're doing much more spot and stock, but shooting things out of the saddle, but then also just taking my neighbor. I don't have any woods in my backyard, but my neighbor does. And so he's very gracious and lets me drag my morel targets over there and roll them out through the woods and I'll just kind of walk around in a circle and shoot at the, the particularly the big high roller. Cause they're a dice, you know, I can shoot them at any side and I will try to judge that distance just like I would at the 3d course with the light and the shadows and try to make it. So I have to shoot just like two or three inches past a tree, like I would in a real whitetail situ- situation. But in those cases, I'm keeping my shots between 15 and 30 yards. So judging in the hunting situation for me is not that big of a deal um, because you know you have about a three inch to four inch vital zone if you will with a whitetail and you're trying to get a killing shot so for me it's like 15 to 30 yards knowing where my pins are 
And I just have fun. Oh, you know, I kind of blew that shot, misjudged it. I'll take the range finder out. I don't care. Um, and then for the 3D, though, in the summer, it's a lot of the same. But in my class in 3D, we shoot, uh, depending on the shoot, it's either a 40 or a 45 max yard distance. And so, so that is not the hunting for me. Really, my max for hunting is 35 yards. And, and quite frankly, it's only 30. Um, you know, really to make a clean ethical shot for me, that's where I'm very comfortable. But when your max distance in, I shoot an IBO here in the Northeast, that's our, that's our um, classification of 3D. And in the Southeast, they kind of ASA. In the Northeast here, 40 to 45 yards, which means that the vast majority of our targets are between 30 and 47 yards. That's like the vast majority of our targets. And you have, you have time because you got to step up to the stake. You have to range these targets. Um, and then you have to make a shot at an 11 ring, you know, which is about two inches in diameter. So you're looking through binoculars, you're taking your time, other people are shooting in your group. And so that's what I do for practice. I will set up targets between 30 and 47 yards because they let you get, they give you like a two yard over the max distance of 47. And I will try to judge it. I will step up to a, a stake, you know, that I'll put in my yard or in my neighbor's woods. And I'll look at a target and I think, you know, I think that's 37 yards. And then I'll glass it. Then I'll take a look at it with my naked eye again. Then I'll glass it again, see how big it looks in my binoculars. And it's just, it's trying to guesstimate the size and how far it is away. It's a very long process. And then I'll knock the arrow and take the shot. And if it works, I either judged it right or I didn't judge it right. And it's a very slow, it's a lot like golf. I hearken 3D archery, the practice to be a lot like golf. It's a very slow moving game. And one shot could mean the difference between being on the podium and, and not being on the podium. Um, but then the indoor game is wildly different because in a weekend, you could be shooting 120 arrows. You know, at a 3D course, at most, you're shooting 60 uh, in a weekend. For a three for an indoor, it's, it's 120 usually. Um, and if you're shooting... Um, in like a Vegas style where it's, it's 30, 30, 30, you're got 90 plus whatever shoot off you have. So you can be shooting up to 150 arrows and you have to be doing 150 arrows and you're shooting at something the size of an American penny. And so that is all about repeti repetition and getting arrows off. You have two minutes to get three arrows off. And so that's where that shot rhythm comes down to really be in play. 3d it's important. Sure. Hunting, it's important, but that shot rhythm for indoor, you have to become a robot and you have to have that clock going on in your head. Be the same. If you watch any of the professional shoot at Vegas or the Lancaster shoot, you watch them, all of their shots look identical. They always finish, they always finish at the exact, you know, within like a 10 second window on the shooter clock. You know, guys like Danny McCarthy take almost two minutes. Uh, guys like Nathan Brooks take like a minute 15. But that, that is 100% every single time, the amount of time that they take. And that is the important, that's the key thing for me with indoor is staying in that rhythm. Because as soon as you bump out of that rhythm, it throws everything else off. And then who knows how many ends or how many rounds of three arrows it'll take for you to get back on track. So those, that's my, uh, in a nutshell, my, my three ways of, of practicing for those. Um, and that's how I recommend it to anybody first starting out in archery. because they're all so different. Um, you know, you think, oh, you're just, you're just shooting an arrow at a foam animal or you're shooting an arrow at a yellow piece of paper. But then you get into the situation, the lighting's different. 
in the indoor situation, you're right next to somebody else, you know, they give you like, well, not COVID anymore, but you had like a two, you had like a two foot little rectangle all to yourself. And that sounds like a lot of space until you realize that you have one person behind you, one person in front of you, the guy behind you shooting a trad bow, the guy in front of you shoot 30 inch stabilizer. You don't have a whole lot of room. And, um, so yeah, it, it gets very interesting very quickly. And so those are the kind of recommendations I have for people starting out in those things. Yeah. So what I, we have a, a good size, you know, acres of up a little, we got a bag target hanging in some trees. And so I've marked out, you know, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 and 50 just for giggles. But I started uh, and pretty much sit right there at 20 yards, just, just drill in the center of the bag and just getting comfortable with my draw cycle, my anchor point, the feel of it, my stance, and just focusing on all that stuff. And then, and as, as I do, as I get more arrows going in, and this is the process I'm going to take in preparation for hunting, because like I said, I'm not sitting out of a, a saddle or a tree standing. So I'm going to be walking around. So I'm going to come up on an animal, hopefully. And, I'm, and it could be, you know, 15, 20 yards away, but at a 45 degree uphill angle or 45 degree downhill angle. So I am doing kind of what you were saying. I'm the, the target may is because it's just hanging in the trees. It's still in the same spot, but I'm going to walk around. So I'm at different angles of it, different heights of it. You know, I'm shooting uphill, I'm shooting downhill. Um, I've gone out previously and I, it was, a, it was pouring rain one day and I went out and shot in the rain for five, 10 minutes because I watched a Daniel McDonald video and he was talking about, you know, he's like, the, hunting's not a fair weather sport. You're going to be out there in the rain. And what kind of effect does it have on your arrows? You know, that's another thing that we don't think about, but yeah, I went out there. It dropped my arrows two inches in my grouping in the rain. So, you know, even in shooting, just that one, I was just shooting straight into it. So moving around different angles, different positions, different distances. Um, it lets you see how, you know, if you're shooting up to down, how that affects your arrow flight and your pattern and your grouping on, on target. And then same thing, if you're shooting uphill, how's it going to affect all that stuff? And then not to mention it changes your, your distance, you know, line of sight versus angle and all that stuff. Uh, and you know, if you have a range finder, they can figure that out for you. But, you know, if you're out at a 3D shoot, you don't get to have that piece of technology to work for you. Um, so that's, like I said, I, and I, my goal is I want to participate in and find some local, you know, a little in, indoor tournaments that's going on and pop in there for a weekend and try it. Or, or I have another archery um, club that I join that's near the house and they do, I have a walk through like 14 target uh course you can walk through and they put up 3d targets from time to time and they'll do a 3d hunt so i'm going to go participate in those just it's and that place is really more about the community of archery versus the competition part of archery they're very exciting about you know just getting out and enjoying the hunting thing so that's a place where i can really stick my toe in the water um and get a feel for the 3d world and how how i do it uh, so I'm going to use that as a transition and a way to practice the, that competition mindset, you know, like that whole draw cycle and, or in, in shot cycle, excuse me, because it, it, it's not as strenuous there, I think, or in my mind, it's not going to be as strenuous there as it will be in the actual, like an indoor tournament when you have all those people crammed around you and all the extra noises and, and, and all that kind of aspect. I think there's just. I believe there's going to be a different feel about it and a different vibe. Uh, but as far as hunting, I'm just shooting as many arrows as I can just to get the strength built up, the form dialed in, 
used to my equipment, how they're flying, how the arrows, you know, like figure, because I got a dozen arrows. Well, that's 11 now. I lost one, but I got 11 arrows. So, and figure out, you know, because I've also been told that, you know, some hit differently, some hit harder, some stay straighter, some do this better, whatever. So, figuring out of those 11 remaining arrows, which five do I want to take in my quiver to go hunting? Which ones are like the creme de la creme of my choices? Um, and to figure that out, you're going to have to, you know, shoot a lot of arrows, shoot them a lot, you know, keep notes of them. So I think the best thing is just to repetitively shoot, you know, shoot 20 or 30 yards, bounce back and forth. Um, but focusing for me, I really want to focus on my form, my shot execution, um, a little bit more importantly than necessarily the group size. Like I still want to be able to make clean kill shots and effective kill shots on an animal. So it's ethical and it does what it needs to do. But if my grouping is, you know, four to five inches right now, but my form is spot on, it feels more comfortable. I'll be more happy with that. And then I can really start to dial in and shrink that group in with just the more arrows and repetition. So that's how I'm, that's how I'm going to go after it. At least until I start uh, doing the 3d shoots assuming they're open up soon with the whole COVID thing. That's making it tough. I know. It's we just started open. I know. We just started opening up again. We have a shoot actually coming up next Sunday just to y'all come and shoot. Nothing, nothing major. But I that's the that'll be the first 3D I'll gone to all year. So hopefully it it's enjoyable and, and I'm finally able to get out. because uh, it's it's been a while since I since I stuck foam. Um, but I, I I real quick do want to say it's good that you understand and for anybody who's new listening at home, that the repetition of archery is how you get better. You can lift all the weights in the world. You really can. Uh, but it's not, it's shooting the bow. It really is. And that's the, that's the number one thing. And then, and then, of course, when you're talking about finding of the 11 arrows that are left, which one hit the best and which one hits the hardest, and which one fly the best. Yeah, it's a lot of tuning. And that's a whole freaking yeah. podcast <laughs> series in and of itself. I mean, you want to talk about going down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I know, I, There's... Yeah. It's deep. I started watching your, that is a your deep clocking one. videos and your fletching videos. And I'm like, man, I didn't know diddly. Like I, I knew I didn't know a lot, yeah. but I thought I, like, I didn't realize there was so much intric intricacies. There we go. I got it. Um, into uh, the arrow itself. I really didn't know it was like, there was, there's so many, like it's, it's outrageous. I mean, it just, it blows my mind from, cause I even thought that, once you got your arrow and you put a field tip in it, if you change your field tip to a broadhead of the same way, uh, arrows should fly the same, should hit the same. No, they don't do that. You can't just, you can't be practicing with your field tips all the time. And then the day before you go hunting, throw your broadheads on and be like, it's going to drill the same hole. No, it's not. You have to do, you have to shoot broadheads into a target to know what they're going to do as well. And, you know, repetition is key. 100%. You've got to shoot, you know, a lot of arrows, but you have to shoot your hunting setup as well. Like you have to put your broadheads in. You have to know that you're going to destroy your foam target with your broadheads, but it has to be done because you need to know how, like, are your arrows dropping two inches impact zone or is it three inches or is it like way like, like what's happening? And then if you're shooting mechanical versus broadheads, you know, or three fixed blade versus four fixed blade, like it's all going to travel different. Um, so you, you have to take that into consideration when you're shooting. So, you know, you shoot, you figure out what arrows seem to fly the best and then put your broadheads in it and shoot those a bazillion times too. Um, 
So I went and bought a specific, you know, broadhead rated foam target for 30 bucks used or something that nobody ever used. It was, it was used. They bought it. They didn't use it. Yeah. That made sense. Uh, for the sole purpose of drilling it with my broadheads. Once, like I said, I have a big bag target that, I'm gonna, that I shoot uh, and the kids shoot, everybody shoots and I'll shoot that with my field points. And I might shoot the foam target with the field points too, just because I can toss it out in the yard like you did with your morels and get different ranges. But that foam target, its primary purpose in life is to be drilled with my my broadheads, so I can really know what's changing. Because if I, because like I said, primary hunting is my primary goal with this. That's that's what I'm at. I want to be a bow hunter. So if my field tips are coming in perfect and my broadheads are coming in low. I'm going to adjust for the broadhead because I want the broadhead to hit exactly where I want the broadhead to hit. So if, if at the end of the day, when I'm shooting for fun and for target practice, that my grouping has to be two inches high with my field points to make sure that my broadheads are two inches or excuse me, right on target, then that's what I'm going to do until I can hit the, uh, the Holy grail of the time frame where I get to have a hunting bow and a <laughs> target bow. But for the moment right now, it's a hunting bow first and a target bow second. So my broadheads have to hit where they need to hit. Well, thank you so much, Drew, and everybody for joining us today on the Average Jack Archery Podcast. It has been a blast. Again, folks, if you want to be a part of the Average Jack Archery Podcast, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me at social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Drew, you would like to plug your local archery shop. Yes, I would. I'd like to put out their Rock Creek Archery. They're located in Tuckwilla, Washington now. Um, I can't say enough good things about them. So if you're in the area or near it, it's in um, you know Bellevue, Seattle, Kent, all those kind of areas, Renton in Washington. If you're in those areas and you're looking for a place to get stuff done, to get accessories, to get tuned up, or even when we open up and they can actually use the range, uh, yeah, check out Rock Creek Archer. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. Um, great place. Good people. I can't say enough good things. Check them out. Well, that's fantastic. It's always good to hear positive experiences from the local guy if you will go into his shop that's always fantastic to hear so folks thanks once again for joining us i hope you're able to get outside enjoy the sport of archery archery hunting if you so choose definitely enjoy god's beautiful creation and we'll get to see you next time